Hey, welcome everybody. Andrew Holacek here. Um, and I have to say, I am really delighted to spend the next hour or so with my friend, Charlie Morley, um, who I will now introduce formally with a bio and then talk to you a little bit about how I came across his work and, and our current relationship. But here's, here's the riff on my friend. Charlie Morley is a best-selling author and teacher of lucid dreaming and shadow integration. He was authorized to teach within the Kagyu School of Tibetan Buddhism by Lama Yeshe Rinpoche in 2008, and has since developed a holistic approach to dream work called Mindfulness of Dream and Sleep, and written three books, which have been translated into 13 languages. He's spoken about lucid dreaming at Cambridge University, Buddhism and youth culture at the Houses of Parliament, is a regular expert panelist for The Guardian, and has been named one of the next generation of meditation teachers. In 2018, Charlie was awarded a Churchill Fellowship grant to research mindfulness-based PTSD treatment and continues to teach on retreats for armed forces veterans. For over 10 years, Charlie has run retreats and workshops in more than 20 countries <clears throat> and continues to teach internationally. He lived at Kagyu Samyedong Buddhist Center in London for seven years and now lives down the road with his wife, OBE or out-of-body researcher Jade Shaw. While he's not teaching, he enjoys practicing martial arts. He has a black belt in kickboxing, um, enjoys cinema and dancing. So, Charlie, my friend, thank you so much for taking the time um, I'm in London, which I understand is a beautiful sunny day for you, to talk a little bit about our uh, mutual passion, these nocturnal meditations as I've come to know them. So really appreciate your time. And um, I met Charlie electronically not that long ago, but I met him um, intellectually through his work, Dreams of Awakening, a book that I really enjoyed quite a number of years ago and was immediately struck by um, Charlie's uh, experiential um, breadth, the, the depth of his obvious experience in working with, with these uh, teachings, which is a, a big deal, actually. And then also his scholarship. He, he casts a very wide lens in what he does and the fact that he juxtaposes and brings together both lucid dreaming and dream yoga um, really made me immediately attracted to his work um, and so i think you will see as i have that he's a rare bird very gifted teacher i think easily can be called the most um, influential and kind of prominent teacher of lucid dreaming and dream yoga in europe um, and so charlie thanks so much for taking the time to be with us Wow, thanks, man. <laughs> what an introduction. Thank you so much. And I'm still a bit starstruck, dude, because we only kind of really met a couple of weeks ago, and I've been reading your stuff and always been, oh, will I ever get to meet this guy? So, um, God, that means that really means a lot to me, man. You've even read the book. You're even aware of it. So thank you so much. It's a really no, no, good pleasure to be here with you. It's a wonderful tome, really, and, and there's some real pearls in there, and I recommend people check it out. It's called Dreams of Awakening. Lucid dreaming and mindfulness and dream and sleep. It's it's one of the best ones out there. And so, Charlie, I want to start with, if it's okay with you, with a little bit of a personal note. I mean, how yeah. did how did lucid dreaming um, come into your life? Tell us a little bit about where uh, this nocturnal meditation first made its appearance for you. Okay, I'm afraid it's not as kind of romantic or spiritual as I might like. But my first memory of lucid dreaming was um, about the age of six or seven because I used to wet the bed. Um, I kept wetting the bed. Uh, until yeah until I was about seven years old and I would have these dreams and in the dream my bladder would wake me up in the dreams so I'd become conscious I'd become lucid and in the dream I would go 
oh, I should wake up and pee. But if I wake up and pee, the monsters under, under the bed will get me. I had this whole thing about monsters under the bed. So I would then try and find a toilet, find a bathroom in the dream, which of course, as anyone knows, that is a trap. Do not do that because you end up wetting the bed. Um, so I wet the bed till quite late. And I remember then going to psychologists and they were talking about it and why do you wet the bed? And I told them about these dreams. So I've got a pretty, pretty good reference there that I, that I had experience of lucidity at around six or seven. Um, but then I don't know, it just, I, I, I have a kind of a bit of a blank. And then I know it comes up again um, when I'm about 12 because I asked for um, something called the Nova Dreamer, which I'm sure you know, Stephen LaBerge's sleep mask uh, oh, with yeah. the little red flashing lights that are supposed to recognize REM and flash through your eyelids. So you spend weeks dreaming about traffic lights and then eventually you kind of uh, work out that the red flashing light is is the mask and become lucid. So I wanted one of those for my 12th birthday. Um, I didn't get it. And then I have another little blank. And then really when I'm 15, that's when I'm like, okay, that's when I have good solid memories of lucid dreaming. Because uh, that's when I started to buy books. Um, I got a LaBerge book. Um, I started searching on the kind of burgeoning internet uh, stuff that was there when I was 15, 16, and kind of taught myself to do it. And because I'd been into dreams for so long, like always telling my mom about my dreams, having these lucid dream experiences from wetting the bed and stuff, um, I took to it quite quickly. But I'm not a natural, you know, I did have to work on it. I had to, I had to train. Um, but it, 1516, I had very good incentive to train because all I used my lucid dreaming for was sex and skateboarding. Oh, 16 know. years old were my two favorite activities. One I was doing more than the other. I will let you you imagine which one. <laughs> and funnily enough, you know, all these studies they now have nowadays about sports science, about how if you train in lucid dream, you get better and stuff. And I got really good at skateboarding. Um, the, the sex stuff, maybe not so much, but, um, you know, that was that was all I was using the lucid dreaming for. Um, so it was just hedonism, just messing about, you know, having sex, doing skateboarding. And then at around 17, 18, I get into uh, Buddhism. Um, yeah. And then I meet my teacher, Akon Rinpoche, when I was uh, 18, took refuge at 19. And then, of course, everyone's talking about this dream yoga stuff. And I'm like, what's dream yoga? Some sort of like asanas that you do in bed. Like I didn't get it. And then they were like, oh, you know, dream yoga, the foundational practices are based on what in the West we call lucid dreaming. And I remember saying to this monk, I was like, oh, dude, I know how to lucid dream. And he came back straight away and went, oh, what do you do in your lucid dreams? And I was so embarrassed, you know, about the sex stuff. So I just, oh, you know, I just kind of go skateboarding. And um, and then I started hanging out with Lamyeshi Rinpoche and Rob Nan. Uh, and they they started teaching me the dream yoga stuff. And I remember like, the first time I got instruction from Lama Yeshe Rinpoche, in your next lucid dream, say this mantra, do this thing, do this certain practice, it, like life changed. It was like life before and life after. Because as you know, when you get instruction from someone who's actually at fruition level of a practice, it's not just like a friend giving you advice. It's like there's kind of a, there's a transmission going on. Um, so then that was in my early 20s and then stuff really started to take off. Yeah, lucky you, my friend. It, 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 this is what you're saying is so inspiring. It's so classic, uh, in, in both in terms of my experience as well, in terms of how um, I relate to lucid dreaming. Again, there's so much we can say about lucid. How dreaming. did you get into it? Into lucid dreaming? Yeah, you know, a little bit like you. I I had a kind of a natural propensity for a very rich dream life, almost uh -huh. as I can remember. Um, and the dreams, you know, were just very vivid, very clear. I started having lucid dreams in my mid-teens, someone like you, when I was really into the developing new age 
you know, way back then, that's when there was all the stuff on channeling and psychic material, um, psychic material like uh, the Seth teachings and all that sort of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. It really took off for me, Charlie. You know, like I write about in my my dream yoga book when I had this um, literally before and after experience where, you know, I entered this so-called altered state. And, and really, uh, in retrospect, that really wasn't the altered state. That was the natural state. This yes. So-called yes. waking this is the altered state absolutely but, yeah but i didn't know it at the time and so what characterized that experience for me was i i you know for a two-week period i slipped into the space where um virtually every single night just almost constant lucidity um and also during the day it wasn't just left during the you know kind of the confines of the night during the day you know everything became increasingly illusory for me during the day so my dreams became more lucid and, and, and more real, my waking reality became more illusory. And that alone was just beyond profound for a young 22 year old. And so like you, it shape shifted my entire life because it's, yeah. I felt like in a dimension of reality that was completely available, but it was a brand new vision for me and my life has never been the same. And so tell me a little bit more about how you define when you're talking to people about the relationship <clears throat> similarities and differences between lucid dreaming and dream yoga what what do you say this is a difficult one i mean i always make the point of when people say always oh, is dream yoga just tibetan buddhist lucid dreaming and i'm like no that is that is incorrect but it's not totally incorrect it's like lucid dreaming is a facet of dream yoga but when you look at the dream yoga teachings including what in the west we refer to as astral projection the conscious sleep stuff the the kind of depth you just think, nah, this is, this is uh, in, in my view anyway, maybe I'm wrong, but in my view, dream yoga is, uh, is, is so much deeper. I mean, if we think of uh, a lot of the Western lucid dreaming practices, which are absolutely brilliant, but essentially they're about integrating an aspect of the self, you know, integrating our neurosis, working with our fears, working with the shadow, working with the inner child, brilliant psychological stuff. But when you look at dream yoga, the final aim being moving beyond the self, you realize that although the practices may start in the same vein, the finality of both practices is totally different. I yeah. mean, you know, if you really master dream yoga, you're moving beyond the self. It's not about, you know, recognizing the self as it is in as it is in the Western practices. And it's just we're in we're in kindergarten land, you know. It's only been in the West, only been kind of really known since the 80s or kind of late 70s. So we're just warming up. Um, whereas, you know, a thousand years in, in the Tibetan tradition over. So I, I think it's brilliant. I think lucid dreaming is great. And what I always try and tell people is um, I say the real dream yoga starts once you're lucid. Because people yeah. always say, oh, Charlie, why don't you teach me the crazy, uh, you know, falling asleep as Vajrayogini, visualizing guru in your heart, another Buddha on your head, all this stuff. And I'm like, because you wouldn't be able to get to sleep. I and mean, you haven't got the authorization. You haven't taken refuge, all this kind of stuff. So use any technique to become lucid. But once you're lucid, then absolutely self-manifestation is the deity. Then absolutely, you know, move beyond, move into an experience of emptiness. Um, so I, I like to tell people that the dream yoga starts when you get lucid. Um, yeah. yes. But I think use any techniques you can to, to become lucid as long as they're just mind-based and nothing external. But then once you're lucid, then we see who's practicing dream yoga and who's just using it for sex and skateboarding. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, in that regard, how the maxim in the psychological circle, starting with Freud, that dreams are truth tellers, really does absolutely apply to what happens, um, even in the lucid dreaming dream yoga arena, how it is like, you know, as you know, when the prefrontal cortex 
which is the parental function, kind of the executive aspect of the brain. And when the parents are out of the house, so to speak, it's it, it's highly revelatory. You know, it, it, as you know, the moniker for dream yoga is the measure of the path. So mm. you can learn a heck of a lot about yourself, um, which takes a little bit of courage uh, by what happens in your dreams. And, and they can show you so many blind spots. Um, oh, yeah, man. Your <laughs> unconscious mind is kind of running up. And I, you know what you define, Charlie, is completely resonant with the way I look at the relationship of lucid dreaming and dream yoga. And I want to see if this speaks to you. The first is that lucid dreaming for me, when I talk to people about it, is largely about self-fulfillment. And there's nothing absolutely at all the problem with self-fulfillment if that's all you want to do. But if you want to really grow beyond, dream yoga is more about self-transcendence. Yeah. It's more- and psychological and then i also use the kind of hegelian term you know uh, dream yoga transcends but includes lucid dreaming in other words this is lucid dreaming as a platform it subsumes it but it goes on um and so you know one thing that you said here that i want to follow up on before i forget just to to, um, unpack a little bit about the depths of this work and also you're um, working with shadow material and that sort of thing. It was very interesting when you talked in your introduction about being afraid of monsters under the bed. I find that to be somewhat metaphoric because, you know, um, below the conscious mind, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're, they're, the, the spiders and snakes exist in, in the shadow elements of our mind. And I always find it very interesting, even as adults. I mean, even now, I, I it's just it's kind of revelatory. It feels sometimes a little creepy for me to have my arms and legs hanging out over my bed because it's like, you know, there's yeah. something there that's going to get it. And to me, that's, that's metaphoric of the monsters under the bed or the monsters under the bed of your conscious mind. Um, yes. In fact, that's what perhaps as children and even as adults, we spend our lives. We don't want to hang our limbs out over the edge, so to speak. But I think is as Oneironauts, as those who, explore the darkness of the mind um, using sleep and dream. That is, in fact, our charter. That's our invitation to be intrepid explorers and to put our arms and legs out over the edge, so to speak. Yes. So that we, in fact, make contact with these monsters. And as you say so beautifully, Charlie, in your TED Talk, which I just loved, oh, the cool. way you were able to resolve your nightmare by embracing that rejected aspect of yourself. So please talk to us about... Um, your work with shadow elements, how you relate that to lucid dreaming and dream yoga, because I think this is a really important untapped natural resource that we have available to us every single night when we go to sleep. So speak to us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that's brilliant. I, I love that. And I agree totally. Um, so if we look at the Western term, uh, the shadow, well, the, the term the shadow is popularized in the West by Carl Jung, used to describe aspects of the unconscious mind that we have rejected, denied or disowned. So Jung famously referred to the shadow as the dark side of the human psyche. But crucially, he said dark, not meaning bad, evil or malign, but dark meaning yet to be illuminated. So it's anything that we we hide from ourselves and others. So, yes, it includes our trauma and our fears and our um, our prejudice and everything that we wouldn't want others to see. But also it includes our talents. You know, many people listening to this uh, at us. Well, who knows? But I, I would assume that many people listening to this uh, might hide their esoteric side from their friends or family for fear of being labeled too woo woo. 
And if they do, then that shadow too, that's this idea of the golden shadow. You know, we hide our talents. And I think actually the greatest golden shadow that we hide is our Buddha nature. I sometimes think actually it's way easier for me to admit to all my shameful stuff than to truly admit to Buddha nature. Because if I truly accepted Buddha nature, really, really accepted it, how could I possibly go on living the life I've been living? Actually, to accept my Buddha nature is, is one of the greatest shadows because it's, it's such a threat to, to, to my sense of who I think I am, my sense of ego. Um, so anyway, the work with shadow in the lucid dream is essentially when you get lucid to intentionally integrate fear and trauma within the lucid dream state. Now, this might happen naturally, as a lot of people know, when they get lucid and you're kind of your worst fear pops up or you're in a zombie apocalypse or something like that. Um, but I'd actually encourage people to become lucid and intentionally call forth their shadow. Now, this actually links directly with the dream yoga teachings. If you look at the kind of, as you, of course, you know, the four stages of dream yoga in, in Guru Rinpoche's uh, teachings, stage one, recognition, stage two, transformation of fear. So Guru Rinpoche is saying pretty much the first thing you should do when you get lucid is transform fear. And it's great. He says things like, uh, you know, the classic jump into fire knowing that you cannot be burnt. Uh, sorry, uh, walk into fire knowing that you cannot be burnt, jumping from a high place knowing that you cannot die. And then these brilliant things like call forth a tiger. And then I think he says there are three options when you call forth the tiger, something like a, um, you can turn it into a Buddha, um, you can look at it fearlessly, uh, or you can ride it like a friendly horse. And I think this is shadow work. You know, this is exactly what we're being encouraged to do. So I tell people, what is your tiger? You know, back in ancient Tibet, what were people scared of? Tigers, fire, high places, lots of cliffs, that kind of stuff. So I encourage people to update it. I say, when you get lucid, what is your tiger? What can you call forth? And they sometimes say, like, why, why would we want to do this? And I think the same reason that Guru Rinpoche thought it was such a good idea to do it as the second stage, because so much of our energy is locked up in fear and fear is made of energy. So if we can transform our deepest fears, that gives us the energy, the kind of chi that we might need for the more progressive stages of, of three and four of the path, uh, the kind of unification stages. So I find actually the shadow work and lucid dreaming um, absolutely ties in with the Buddhist lineage practices on transformation of fear. Um, and sometimes it's helpful to say that, and sometimes it's not, depending on the audience. Um, and also there's something, and, and, you know, again, I don't really say this at workshops, but I can't help thinking that if I spend my time at workshops encouraging people that whatever they see in their dream, however scary it is, rather than running away from it, they should move towards it and embrace it with love, with the energy of acceptance and, and that kind of empowered movement of love, then I don't know, man, but perhaps that trait will carry over when they're in the bardo. And they're faced with the wrathful deities and most of us will run the other way and maybe they'll run towards them. Maybe it's setting up a habit of um, that will help in the death and dying stages. But who knows? Yeah, Charlie Cash, I mean, this alone, we could talk about this for a week. But, I mean, you just hit on so many gems here, my friend. You know, speaking of Carl Jung, as you know, you know, his his old charter of the, of the path to individuation is the yes. exact you're referring to. And, and what immediately came to my mind is this beautiful quote from Cashmere Shaivism, I'm, I'm on a real Cashmere Shaivism kick these days um, because I, you know, I, it's part of a family of, I just have to interject this briefly, it's part of a family of teachings now I'm, I'm referring to as trans-religious teachings. They're, they're mm. in the spirit or the primordial Torah. They're, they're teachings so profound, so transcendent that no tradition has proprietary rights over these. And so mm. when I read some of these texts, I find that I'm like, this could totally be written by Long Chenpa or Padmasambhava. I mean, it's like, Nobody has a patent on truth. But anyway, I came across this beautiful line 
it's really like a should be etched on my forehead now in line with what you said here, where it says, you know, there is no darkness within, only light unseen. And so, and so what we're doing, what you're talking about here, that I, I think is so important for um, oneironauts, for people who engage in these nocturnal practices, because many people are, in fact, afraid of the dark. And as you know, there's so many code words in this business, like darkness is a code word, for ignorance. Ignorance is virtually mm. with fear. And so when we're working with these dimensions of mind, we are we're getting down to the root of it. And you know, to me, I argue, in fact, I'm writing about it now, that fear is the affective expression of ignorance. And so it is the primordial Oh, just say that again, Andrew. Let me let me roll that around. Say that again. The affective expression of ignorance. In other words, it's Ooh, very lovely. Very difficult to identify ignorance, as you know. And we talk in our tradition about klesha attacks, right? Emotional people. Yeah. Really easy to say, "Oh, I'm having a klesha attack of, ignor- of, of, of arrogance and anger. I'm having a klesha attack of of passion." But I've never ever heard somebody say, "You know, I'm having a klesha attack of ignorance," and and that's really <clears throat> kind of ironic because. Where if you see me as separate from you, if you see the world dualistically, you are under attack. And so by definition, almost ignorance is the hardest of the primordial poisons to unearth. And so what I have done, and this is exactly what you're talking about here, just to put some bones on it, some flesh on these bones, is that um, fear is how ignorance is one way, the way that ignorance is expressed. We're always afraid of what we don't know, even colloquially. And so then it's exactly like you are talking about. We can use our fear as directions um, for growth, as really intimations for where we should go to grow, to really find light within. And so to to say one last thing about this, and then um, we can unpack it from your side, is, as you may know, in the Mahamudra tradition, Wangchuk uh, Dorje Karmapa talks about this little known battery of uh, practices that I, I really work a lot with in my Bardo programs, these so-called reverse meditations, where you do practices that are almost antithetical to the spirit of um, at least e- ego's interpretation of what one thinks meditation would be. And in relation to this, it's that, you know, what we do is we actually bring, like in the dream state, we bring fearful situations voluntarily into our meditation as a way to transcend the fear. Um, and th- there's so much to say here, but you know, ever so briefly, the root of the word fear, as you probably know, is uh, etymologically is the word fair, F-A-R-E, as in toll. And so if we really want to grow in this life, we have to go pay the toll and go into oh. fear to realize that that's where the light is. And so for, for spiritual warriors, and this is why spirituality, in my view, is a warrior tradition that we follow. It's not just following our bliss, as Joseph Campbell said. If you just do that, you'll get blissed out. Spiritual warriors follow their fear. You really want to grow in this life, you go to the places that scare you. And so this, to me, is why these nocturnal practices, you know, dream yoga, sleep yoga, and I also subsume bardo yoga in, in this, they're so ripe with potential for transformation. So does this resonate with your experience, both professionally and um, personally? Totally, dude. Like, I'm 
really enjoying this podcast right now i don't always enjoy them as much as i'm learning so much i had no idea about the the uh, root of the word fear being fair you know you got to pay your toll that's brilliant um yes i absolutely agree and yeah i you're you're just putting it so beautifully and succinctly um what i will do though is that let me give a couple of examples about how i i would do this in the lucid dream just to really bring it down to earth um about working with fear um just so people know kind of what, what I'm talking about here, what we're talking about here. For example, uh, one, I'll give a very kind of, well, quite an embarrassing one. Um, I realized when I was doing the shadow work that I had a big fear around being naked in public, like whether it's just a British thing because we don't really do that or whether it's kind of male preoccupation with size or whatever it was. But I realized one of my worst fears would be walking down the street naked. And I thought, okay, well, that's probably a fear that's a little bit illegal to try and do in London. But hey, I can use that virtual reality simulation of the lucid dream to try that. So in one of my shadow work practices in the lucid dream, it was very simple. Uh, Once I knew I was lucid, I remembered my dream plan. So I'm all about dream plans, you know, having an exact idea of what you want to do in the lucid dream. You can always do something else, but it's good to go in with a plan, I think. Um, So I remembered my dream plan. Walk, walk through the dream naked. And it was amazing how much resistance I had. And in the dream, I took all my clothes off and there were lots of people in the dream, but you know, it feels so real, even though you know you're lucid. I found myself kind of, you know, shy and ashamed and kind of covering up. And I had to remind myself, Charlie, your body's asleep in bed, dude. This is a three-dimensional projection of your own mind. Just do it. And I walked through the street in the lucid dream completely naked. And it was one of the most liberating experiences of my life. And it was such a simple thing to do in the lucid dream. And now I can't say, oh, since then, I have walked down the street in London naked. No, but I'll tell you what I have done. I have noticed that it has really eased up that neurosis that I had. Um, Definitely when I'm in, you know, public spaces where I may be naked, like locker rooms and stuff like that, I realize I am more open to that. The fear really has been integrated. Um, And a more recent one, uh, just because you mentioned warriorship, actually, and I want to share something that I haven't shared before. Just about three nights ago, I had a lucid dream. Um, I've got a kickboxing fight coming up, actually. You mentioned in my bio that I practice kickboxing. And um, the night before, I found a previous fight of my opponent. uh, And I was kind of watching the fight. and He looked quite good. And I thought, oh, God. So I went to sleep with a little bit of anxiety. I couldn't really get to sleep. I kept on thinking about what moves I should use on him and stuff like that. Um, But as you know, sometimes a little bit of anxiety can be quite good for lucidity. So I became lucid. And in this dream, uh, I was sitting opposite at a table, this really big, scary looking Japanese warrior guy. Um, And I became lucid from the fear. And then I looked at him and kind of telepathically, he communicated to me. He said, I am your fear of the kickboxing fight. And I was like, whoa, he's the personification of the fear of the kickboxing fight. And then uh, I moved towards him and I embraced him and I hugged him and he was so strong. But as I embraced him, I felt him kind of released into the hug, like when a friend kind of when you breathe into the hug and then I released the hug and he was smiling. And I said, so are you it? Are you the personification of, of the fear? And he went, yes. And I was like, okay, well, look, can we train together? And he went, yes. And then um, I started doing stretching in the dream with this personification of my fear of the fight. And he was stretching my legs and helping me. Then um, he was helping me kind of do shadow boxing and he was showing me how to do kicks and stuff. And I was in the lucid dream going, you know, almost 20 years I've been doing this stuff. And still every week when I practice, I get more and more, I get shocked by the insights. You know, I had never thought 
that not only could you meet the shadow in the lucid dream, not only could you meet your fear, but you could meet specific, something as specific as the fear of your kickbox, of your upcoming kickboxing fight, and that the fear would appear in personified form. I would be able to dialogue with it and actually train for the martial arts fight with it. And then, of course, the next day, all the fear was gone. I felt totally relaxed. I still have a bit of nerves, but the fear was integrated. And I thought, you know what? This this can be very, um, very practical as well as very mystical. I remember my friend, well, my friend, my acquaintance, um, uh, her anthropologist, um, Stanley Krippner. Yeah. And I remember Stanley Krippner saying when he first interviewed um, shamans in the Amazon basin about astral projection. And they had this term that he translated, which was, does it grow corn? And this was because the shamans were amazed that in the West, people practiced astral projection kind of just for fun and not to grow corn. And when he asked them this, he said, what do you mean? He said, oh, well, the reason we use astral projection, the reason we shift our consciousness out of our body is to try and find the best fields to plant our corn for the next crops. And it was very practical. And that's always stuck in my head, you know, does our lucid dreaming practice grow corn? Are we just using it for kind of for a head trip or are we using it in practical everyday ways to help us integrate our everyday traumas, our everyday fears? Because that's the spiritual path. It's happening in the here and now, not in a cave in Tibet, but in downtown London for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's so inspiring. I mean, that's really beautiful. And, 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 I mean, really, I feel like I'm talking to a soulmate here in terms of, uh, you know, an individual who realizes the really mind-bending potentialities behind these nocturnal practices that, you know, in the spirit of bidirectionality, that, you know, what you do under the cover of darkness, quote unquote, is not left under the cover of darkness. It, it changes your body, it changes your brain, and it can yes. change your life. And I think, you know, to whatever extent that can be conveyed to people through sharing experiences like this, then all of a sudden, you know, because as you know, one of the biggest issues with was a dreaming and dream yoga for people is, oh, you know, my life is so full and so busy. Like, why should I bother? Well, um, once you realize the unbelievable benefits behind this being the esoteric practice, you want to be bothered, so to speak. Um, because exactly. Thanks for listening. You can listen to the full interview by joining Nightclub, Lucid Dreaming and Dream Yoga Community. Just $1 for your first 30 days. Try it out. Click the website link in our profile to get started.